This is the Weekly Bull and Bear by WealthFest, a podcast for financial professionals. Each week, Drew Dockin and Tim Prady will have an in-depth conversation on what's happening in the markets. Good afternoon, everybody. Today it is February the 6th. We are recording and... You know, one of the, some of the big things that have happened, obviously, we'll get into the GDP numbers, but market breadth hasn't been great. A lot of it's been on terms of, you know, some AI developments. Tim, I know you wanted to kind of start the conversation on that. And what does the market look like uh, if it hadn't been for this? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I, I read the stat earlier today that if when Microsoft made the investment into chat GPT since that time, 100%, more than 100% of S&P performance has been in the MAG-7. And you stop and you think about that and, and you think, what if, what if we didn't have this large language model revelation? Because while AI obviously holds promise and large language models obviously hold promise, there's, there's nothing that's happened yet in the economy that is, is because of large language models. Large language models are not the reason by themselves why companies are doing better or not or, or, or whatever. So it really is just the expectations of something that is to come. And we don't really know yet. We don't know yet that this is the second coming of the internet in terms of a productivity, a productivity boom. Uh, but it has driven a wealth effect, right? The market has gone up a lot this year in, in 2023, recovering all the gains really from 2022, but the breadth of that has been really terrible. I mean, obviously, if you look at the IWM, how many days do you look at the market? NASDAQ's up a percent and the IWMs are down a percent. You know, IWMs are still down over 20%. One of the reasons why is because earnings revisions over the past year are down 20%. And again, if you strip out the MAG-7 and you look at earnings revisions of the other 493 stocks, and now Tesla's kind of been kicked out as the loser of the group, which is something that we've been talking about for a long time. Um, you have negative revisions within the S&P. Uh, so what, what would have been the reality uh, to this market if you didn't have these large language models? N NVIDIA is up 6x since October of 2022. It really is truly extraordinary uh, that you have kind of a tail wagging the dog scenario, that it is the performance of these companies that is not only driving the S&P, but is creating a wealth effect that is creating uh, the confidence, perhaps, in the wealth effect that we are now seeing. Do you see any uh, parallels to early 2000s um, with, with open source and AI and everything else? Uh, to the dot com? I mean, it, and, and, you know, around 2019, I was working at Morgan Stanley. I was working in the equity capital markets area where we were really, truly handing out wealth. I mean, these were the days of companies like Sycamore Networks. And I'm, I'm not recalling the numbers exactly, but, you know, on, on the on the early days of the IPO, you know, Sycamore, the pricing was around 20. And then let's say we priced it at 40 and the first bid would be 300. Uh, same thing with Akabai. And there were countless companies like that. So I don't think that there is uh, evidence that we're seeing a valuation bubble like that. Don't forget, NASDAQ fell somewhere on the order of 90% uh, from, from 99 to the lows, wherever they were made around 2001. So I don't think that's fair. 
But there are plenty of charts that show you that the, the concentration, the breadth, uh, you know, like the old nifty 50, right? The breadth is in all these large cap technology growth uh, companies. And, and that there are, there are striking parallels to 2000 from that standpoint. I just don't think valuations, I don't think there's an argument to say that there has been the extreme type valuations. I mean, the Akamai's and Sycamores of the world were trading at literally hundreds of times revenue. So I, I, we do not have anything like that yeah. uh, in this situation. But what you do have is, as I said, NVIDIA is up 6x since 2022. Back in 2022, nobody was talking about large language models. When, 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 when I was reading semi-analyst pieces on NVIDIA, the question was what was going to be the Ethereum hash rate and how much did, was that going to correlate to NVIDIA's uh, growth in earnings? That was really the focus then. Uh, so the world has changed so much. But as, as I say, there is going to be something that comes out of all these large language models, but we really still have no idea what it is and what are going to be the next things that come out of AI or if, or if we do eventually get to AGI. You know, uh, Commerce Department on this previous Thursday came out, put up a huge number. GDP it was up 3.3% annualized in the fourth quarter, uh, fourth quarter. So that's once again above expectations. There's been talks of us slowly slowing, but now it seems like we're moving either sideways or, or the economy is rebounding a little bit. Yeah. I mean, people who read our stuff probably get sick of hearing us say we're higher for longer, but we are slowly slowing. Now we're higher for longer, but it's not very clear that we're slowly slowing, right? I mean, look, you know, we, we use the HOPE uh, um, framework to talk about the economy, housing, orders, which is manufacturing, profits, and then earnings. And housing, we start with housing because housing is incredibly important. And, you know, when, when the 30-year mortgages averages went, they went all the way up to 8%, housing was looking like it was going to be in trouble. Then, then we get, you know, the QRA back in November, uh, the 10-year falls apart, back from four and a half to four, uh, and that took mortgage rates from eight to closer to six and a half, and you saw NAHB home builder sentiment really pick up. You saw orders, permits, and everything start to pick up. So housing has improved. Sentiment has improved. You seem to be getting to an end on the inventory drawdown in manufacturing. Uh, and look, you know, like we, we've said a lot of times, there, there are a number of things that are different about this cycle. In the wage growth that we've had, the secular tightness of this labor market has driven uh, higher velocity. Uh, so, you know, we we were, you know, you go back to early 2023, we were kind of in the consensus that, yeah, we'll probably have a recession. Credit is contracting, all of the things that always worked in previous cycles. But this cycle has been different and it's accumulated wealth. It's the generational wealth transfer. It is um, all of the optimism around AI that have got kind of the animal spirits, if you will, um, you know, pushing things higher and, and optimism is, is what defines bull markets. You know, at, at the same time, though, we saw that January's hiring was the lowest um, in the month as a lot of layoffs surged. Uh, we saw that especially in finance and we saw that in tech as well as warehousing, yeah. such as Amazon. Um, you know, what would we make of that? Well, I mean, our latest essay on uh, LinkedIn 
you know, we, we talked about the big non-farm payroll number. But, I mean, the labor data, you know, I, I'm never somebody who believes in conspiracy theories about government workers manipulating data, but they are struggling to get it right, right? There is, there is chasms between different sets of labor data. You know, as you say, you have layoffs, challenger layoffs, and warn notices really picking up, uh, and yet you have uh, initial jobless claims still very much bumping along the bottom, though they've started to turn up again a little bit. Um, you know, you had non-farm payrolls of 350,000 jobs, and yet you had the household survey shedding jobs. We have all of the job gains concentrated in part-time jobs. Full-time jobs are down. I, you are not going to turn on CNBC and hear anybody talking about the fact that full-time jobs are falling, and they're falling meaningfully, especially, as you say, in technology and finance. The economic, the employment data is really all over the map. The birth death model, which is not birth death of human beings, but corporations, that has had a huge impact on the numbers. And just think about the participation rate. Before, and this is from Joe Lavornia, who just wrote about this yesterday or today, my old friend from Nico Securities, great economist. He uh, points out that, you know, if the participation rate were held steady from 63.3 versus where we are most recently in the non-farm payrolls, which is at 62.5, so participation is not going up, right? This is one of the reasons why we have such a secular uh, strength in the job markets, because you've lost over 5 million people uh, in that, 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 that important cohort. Um, you know, the unemployment rate would be 4.8, not 3.8. Five or three point seven or wherever it is, you know there are, there are. I think if you look across the spectrum of the unemployment data, you see an economy that is really kind of going sideways. Hirings are very slow. You do have layoffs of full time jobs, but you have very strong uh, additions in part time work, and a lot of that is people with second time jobs and you see the gig economy uh you know where where the data just gets a little more difficult right with every economic cycle there are things that have secularly changed and it takes a while from the um from the beat for the bean counters in the governments kind of understand how these things have changed and how they need to adjust their seasonal adjustments and how they measure uh employment but i, I would say overall Employment is sideways. We're, we're, we're pretty static. Uh, and you still do have uh, really meaningful wage growth. But even the wage growth numbers, if you look at AC, ECI, uh, the Employment Cost Index, versus average hourly earnings, versus the Atlanta GDP, versus ADP, those numbers are all over the map. All positive, but to varying degrees. Right. Yeah. Ultimately, I mean, I think it all kind of ends into this concern that... Um, you know, whatever the Fed decides to do in terms of cuts, I mean, that could respawn another period of irrational exuberance, too. Certainly. Right. I mean, you know, I, I'm sitting around here with some friends who are not necessarily Wall Street people. And what do they want to buy? They want to buy NVIDIA. They want to buy Amazon. Right. Uh, uh, there's a generational wealth transfer that is happening. So money is going from you know, your, your, your 80 year olds account, which is in CDs and so forth to the second generation. What do they want to do? They want to buy the stuff that's working. They want to buy NVIDIA. They want to buy Amazon. They want to buy Meta. Uh, and as long as the economy is not falling apart 
and maybe things are even getting a little bit better, right? Credit is maybe getting a tiny bit looser or at least less bad. Um, who knows? Who knows? Maybe you do have a thrust uh, uh, significantly higher um, uh, in the stock market. It really is somewhat unknowable, I think. But you just, you, you know, I, I, you may not love the risk reward for long term, but if this is, doesn't feel like the time where you want to be fighting the tape. You know, one more thing, I suppose, you know, we, we, we were recently discussing in our webinar, um, China and how bearish we were. This is what I saw was China's, you know, enacted a bunch of fiscal support measures, which was probably uh, surprising and, and part and parcel because of that, but also many other things. The IMF just recently upgraded the global forecast. Uh, yeah. Were you surprised by any of that or? No, they're really they're really just kind of catching up, you know, yeah. uh, and, and mostly it's about U.S. growth. Right. They had to they had to adjust U.S. growth higher. Uh, and U S is still the, is, you know, used to be China's the engine of growth. The United States is back to yeah. being the engine yeah. of growth and who knows how you measure China, right? I mean, does anybody really think that China GDP is growing right now? Uh, when you have a real estate, uh, economy that is still imploding, what is extraordinary is how powerful the measures have already been. And then what are the implications of those measures? And what I'm talking about is how much they have subsidized manufacturing, uh, so what you have is China now has a glut of look at the auto industry is a very good example of it. You can't stimulate housing back into growth, right? You can't convince people, and you've talked about it, where there is a balance sheet recession going on. Chinese are savers. They are not going to turn around and spend all of their savings, especially when they see a complete illiquidity and falling value in their real estate assets. So what do the Chinese do? They spend more and more in growing a manufacturing base. What is the outcome of that? You're going to have a glut of semiconductor, I'm sorry, of, um, of solar facilities, of, of solar capability and auto manufacturing capability. So as, as Elon Musk talked about the other day, not one of my favorite people, but he said, look, we're going to end up with having to put off tariffs all over the world. Germany is going to protect Volkswagen. And Mercedes yep. uh, and, you know, um, and the auto industry there. The United States is going to protect the auto industry here because China, what are they going to do with that glut of excess capacity in solar and autos? They're going to try to export it mm -hmm. in the United. So this whole so the outcome of all that is that tariffs are going to go higher. Uh, but I'm sorry, your original question and I digressed was on overall growth. And I think yeah. growth in the United States has surprised them and they had to catch up to that to that reality. So I guess we kind of end our discussion on Congress. Uh, there's been a lot going on. We saw the border deal. I mean, I think it's dead in the water. I mean, Mike Johnson said as much, but then some of the Senate Republicans have backtracked on it. Um, but, you know, that would have been Israel funding. That would have been Ukraine funding. And that would have been $20 billion dollars roughly in border security, and then also, yeah. you know, helping get judges and stuff to help some of the processing go through. Um, but no, I, I think that's dead because it's bad politics. Uh, well, it's good politics, yeah. but it would be good politics right. for the president, and it's an election year. So I right. think, you know, we're seeing a lot of that. And I think as a result, uh, I mean, Ukraine's only putting up one missile to the four the Russians are at this point. Um, yeah. So, I mean, yeah, I know the Europeans put in $50 billion, but without additional support, I think uh, the tide turn, turns in, in Ukraine. 
Tide seems to be turning, right? I mean, there there is clear evidence that they lack munitions uh, and that they have lost a major city here for the first time in a couple of years. Um, the Russians are empowered. They're emboldened. Uh, they're getting support. They're getting support from China. They're getting support from North Korea. They're getting the munitions that they need. Ukrainians aren't. Uh, I think it's a very sad situation. Look, Congress never passes a lot of legislation uh, into a presidential election, Uh, but there are obviously with the border, the Ukraine, Taiwan, Israel, there are some acute issues that need to be addressed and they're just not going to be addressed. It's amazing that you have a, um, a senator like Lankford from Oklahoma with sparkling conservative credentials who was really being thrown under the bus uh, by GOP leadership. And, you know, McConnell has been, to his credit, he has been supportive of Ukraine. He has been saying that we need to support Ukraine. But as it's clear now that he certainly doesn't have the votes in the Senate and it's going nowhere in the House, he's looking to cancel votes. And and he's going to basically throw his hands up and say, all right, we're we're not going to get any of this done. Maybe we'll do a one-off package for Israel but the nothing is going to happen with the border. The president will have to do something on his own, which he probably should have already done. In fairness, um, but we're going to let is we're going to let the Ukraine, um, at least from the U.S. perspective, figure this out on their own. Hopefully, the rest of the world steps up. But you know, look, the rest of the world doesn't have Lockheed Martin, doesn't have Raytheon, doesn't have the ability uh, to. Um, to supply weaponry like the United States does. And we're not going to do a damn thing until after this election. And if Trump wins the election, we're not going to do a damn thing for the Ukraine after that either. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the Europeans would have to carry, you know, a lot of it if, if it's to continue. And, and, um, and, maybe, and maybe they will, right? Because, yeah. I mean, if, if I'm Germany... Do I want a situation where Russia's gone through Ukraine and now they're, now they're threatening Poland? Mm-hmm. I don't think so. No, no, or, or or any of the other countries that have a Russian ethnic speaking minority that they, uh, you know, sure. they've said it's part of greater Russia. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, it's definitely, yeah, definitely vexing, you know, on the side of Congress. Um, I was surprised they passed that big bipartisan tax um, bill, but you did see some kind of expansion of... Um, you know, child credits, and then then you yeah. also saw some corporate cuts as well. Yeah, you know, it's like I said, I, I said in a LinkedIn post a couple of weeks ago. I grew up caddying, and I, I can remember I caddied when I was at Boston College. I used to caddy at the Country Club of Brookline, which is the oldest, waspiest club in the country. Mm-hmm. You'd have two dudes there, and I, I had never seen it before, where they'd be standing over five foot putts, and they'd look at each other and go, "Good, good." Right. They, yeah, sure. And, and that's how that's the only way anything gets done in Congress. Like you want to get your tax break. I'll get my tax break. We'll just hold our nose and agree to it. Sure. Let's just do that. The hard part of legislating, though, is what we're going to do about our two trillion dollar deficits. Right. Mm-hmm. It, 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 and, and, you know, everything is clear and hindsight is 2020. Um, we shouldn't be that surprised that the economy has held up as well as it has when you are running two trillion dollars in deficits, and we still have Congress passing tax cuts. Uh, It really is um, 
It's kind of depressing. It's kind of depressing. I mean, this is what Fitch talked about. This is what Moody's talked about last year when they were downgrading and downgrading outlooks for U.S. debt. We no longer have uh, a Congress due to populism, due to gerrymandering, whatever else you want to blame it on, that is capable of being an effective steward of the U.S. economy. What we're going to do is we're going to spend and we're going to spend and it's not going to hurt until it does. Yep. Yeah, I mean, and Fitch Fitch put politics as their primary reason too, right? Which is well, interesting is. out of a rate, yeah, out of agencies, agencies. But yeah, all right. Well, I guess sounds good. Well, on that note, um, you know, thanks for all our listeners and subscribers, uh, and we're out. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the host, and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Wellfest. The mere appearance of content on the site does not constitute an endorsement by Wellfest. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. Wealthfest does not make any representation or warranties with respect to the accuracy, applicability, fitness, or completeness of the content. Wealthfest does not warrant the performance, effectiveness, or applicability of any sites listed or linked to any of the contents. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Investment and investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal.